Hello and welcome to the School of Surgery podcast on urology for the non-urologist. My name is Philly, a junior doctor at Royal Derby, and I'm here with Susie Hall, a registrar in urology at the Royal Derby. Hello, Susie. Hi, Philly. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. So just to give you an outline of today's podcast, we're going to discuss common urological issues arising on call, how to approach these scenarios, and when you should call for senior help. So the first scenario we're going to discuss is difficult catheterization. So Susie, what situations might you come across where catheterization is difficult? You should probably divide these into male and female patients. Okay. Of course, most of the time you'll probably get called for the male patients as a doctor, but with female patients it can be tricky if they've got a high BMI or in the older female patient who's maybe got some vaginal atrophy. Okay. In men... Anything that could cause any type of obstruction, so a a meatal stricture, urethral stricture, a large prostate, or of course if they've come in in a district nurse or somebody's been trying and they've got a false passage. You also need to think about a bladder next stenosis as well. Okay. And what techniques can juniors try to overcome these issues before escalation? So the, the biggest thing I'd say really is when you set your trolley up to do a catheter, Get absolutely everything ready and out beforehand and have confidence with your catheterization. If you try and catheterize someone very gently or meekly, as you might do on the models at medical school, you might well find that you're only going to get the catheter in a few centimeters. Equally, of course, you don't want to be causing any damage with it. Another thing would be, unless there's some anatomical abnormality with a patient, not to go with a catheter any smaller than a size 14. The smaller catheters are quite floppy and they're less rigid, so they're more difficult to pass through a big prostate, for example. Okay, so you get more resistance with a bigger catheter, so a better chance of getting it in. Yeah. A couple of extra things you can do as well if you're struggling to get it passed, if you think it's at the level of the prostate. Seeing if the patient can try and relax, that will open the bladder neck up. Asking them to cough doesn't seem to work, although it seems to be taught in medical school. You can also, um, although you need another pair of hands if you're stuck at the prostate, actually perform a PR examination at the time of the catheter going past the prostate and it can guide the catheter through the prostate. But that's a bit more tricky and you'll probably do that when the registrars come. Okay, thank you. So still on the theme of catheterisation, sometimes quite a common on-call is a request to replace the suprapubic catheter. So firstly, which patients are likely to have a suprapubic catheter? There's probably two groups of patients, really. Those that might need a long-term catheter for a number of reasons. Classically, uh, patients with neurological disorders, such as MS, and the suprapubic catheter means that they're not associated with the trauma of sitting on a urethral catheter. Okay. And the long-term urethral catheters in a man can cause iatrogenic hyperspadias as well, so it avoids that. Secondly, it might be that a patient, and again, particularly in men, has an obstruction in their urethra that means that the catheter that way isn't possible. And so they've got a long-term suprapubic catheter. Okay, so something like a stricture that causes obstruction? Yes, yeah. Okay. And for juniors, what's the best way to approach replacing a suprapubic catheter? Again, I'd say with this to have confidence. It's not something that people do so often, and so people are quite scared about it. And as a, a reg on call, we get a lot of phone calls about it. Essentially, think of it exactly the same way as a urethral catheter. In okay. fact, it's often a lot easier. Ensure that it's a well-established tract in that it's not the first time this catheter's ever been changed since the patient's had a suprapubic catheter. As long as that's the case, you are perfectly safe and allowed to change the suprapubic catheter as a junior doctor. 
Set up all your kit exactly as you normally do. Then take out the old catheter, of course, deflate the balloon and take the old catheter out. Put your clean gloves on, prep the area. You're still putting stiller gel in the hole. Of okay. course, you might not need all the instiller gel because the tract is much shorter, but you can do it, it'll do no harm. And then you pass your new catheter. Depending on the patient's BMI, you might find that the catheter has to go further than others in order to get in. So what you can do is when you take the old one out, just make a note of how much catheter was inside the patient. Of course, it is a good idea to advance the catheter all the way to the hilt, but you don't have to do this with suprapubic catheters. Inflate the balloon, pull the catheter back to the abdominal wall and attach your bag. A couple of things I'd say just to be wary of, particularly in ladies, what can happen if you pass the catheter all the way to the hilt, the tip of the catheter can actually come out of the urethra and it's not been unknown for balloons to be inflated completely outside the patient of the urethra. But okay. if this happens, you'll know about it because you'll, you'd notice or yeah. you'd notice that the catheter wouldn't be draining. OK, great. Thank you very much. Just a couple more things still on the theme of catheters. When called to review a patient with hematuria and there's a question of a three-way catheter, how do you decide who needs a three-way catheter? So one thing I've come across in my training is a lot of urologists will try and describe hematuria in different ways. common thing I've come across is rosé wine being mild hematuria, red wine being quite a bit, and then all the way up to sort of port. Okay. And then all of those with or without clots. As a rule of thumb, if you tell yourself, if the patient has red wine, urine or darker, or quite a few clots, they should have a three-way catheter. Okay, then. And what's the reason for that? Well, there's a number of reasons. The three-way catheters have a bigger diameter, and so they're less likely to block. And the patient can actually go into clot retention, where the clot will block off the end of the urethra. And so it keeps them being able to pee. Okay. But secondly, the irrigation that you can use with the irrigation will both break down the clot, but also if the bladder itself is bleeding, the action of the saline washing over the bladder wall actually stops it bleeding in some cases. Okay, that's really useful to know. So when it comes to inserting them, is there any different technique involved? Technique-wise, it's exactly the same. Again, as I said with suprapubics, don't be afraid of a three-way catheter. It's something that any doctor can do. The differences with a three-way catheter, so they're a bigger diameter, you generally find they come in a 20 French upwards. Don't panic about the fact that it's a bigger diameter. Okay. It actually means they're more rigid and quite often, if the patient's got a big prostate, you'll get that through the prostate more easily. So your standard size, 20, 22 or 24, will be absolutely fine. And in women, this is also perfectly fine. The balloon at the end will hold anywhere up to 30 mils. You don't have to put 30 mils in it. And you'll need to draw up your own balloon because you'll see for some reason the pack doesn't have a syringe in it like most two-way catheters. Okay. And is that just uh, saline you put in or is that water? Water for injection, ideally. If you use saline, it's not the end of the world. If you leave saline in a balloon for a long period of time, it can erode the balloon. But these three-way catheters don't stay in long term. So that's probably not going to happen. OK, great. And then once they've been inserted, um, is there anything different that we need to do with them then? Well, you'll find that there's three ports, hence three-way catheter. There's the balloon port, there's the drainage port, and that one's in the middle. So you'll attach your catheter bag there. Then there'll be another port that looks exactly the same as the drainage port coming in at the side. Okay. And that's for your irrigation. So irrigation in from the side, I always remember. 
If you attach the catheter bag to the irrigation port, you'll find it doesn't drain properly. And after a short time, you realise there's something wrong. Okay. If you don't do anything with that irrigation port, urine will pour out of that one as well. So you've either got to spigot it, so take a spigot with you, which all the wards have, or start the irrigation straight away. Most nurses will be able to start the irrigation for you. But it does depend on where you are in the hospital. If you're on a medical ward, they might struggle. Okay. Moving away from catheters, another common referral is testicular pain. And I think a lot of juniors get anxious about who they need to worry about and who they need to refer. So what are the common differentials for testicular pain? I'd say firstly, if you're a junior doctor on call, one of the things we don't mind getting phone calls about is testicular pain. And I'll go through the differentials and some things to keep an eye on. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if you're ringers in any situation with the testicular pains if you're not sure. Okay. The reason, of course, is, as you all know, that the top differential we've got to rule out is a testicular torsion. Yeah. Other things that are actually much more common are an infection, such as epididymoalkitis. Referred pain may be from a stone. Patients can present with pain and actually have a testicular tumour. And we do sometimes find that it's musculoskeletal, or we don't find a cause. Okay. What symptoms and signs would prompt urgent escalation, in your opinion? Generally, if you've got a patient that's under around the age of 30, or a patient that's not had children and wants to have children, and has had testicular pain for less than around six hours, you should definitely be ringing your registrar on call. The, The point behind that is, if... A patient has a torsion that's been present for more than six hours. The chances of it being rescued if you untwist it in theatre are much less. Okay. Um, but if you're unsure, just give us a phone call. And in the meantime, while awaiting senior review after that referral, is there anything that juniors can do to help their senior when they get there? There's certainly some things that would be really useful. Making sure the patient's got a urine dip because the top differential is infection. Yep. Uh, and recording the urine dips often not recorded very well. Getting a full set of bloods off because we know the patient might be going to theatre. Okay, so that would need to include group and save and clotting, would it? Usually, if it's a young patient without any medical problems, you may not need to do the group and save, to be honest, but if you're not sure, then just get that done too. Okay. Make sure the patient's nil by mouth, and in some situations, we might decide to try and get the patient an ultrasound. So if you want to be really good and proactive... If you can try and ring the ultrasound department and, re- and book them and a scan in the next half an hour, it might avoid the patient needing to go to theatre. Okay, great. And then another slightly less common referral, but sometimes we get called about, is paraphimosis. So can we just clarify first what paraphimosis means? People get confused with phimosis and paraphimosis, and it's a classical medical school question, so you'll probably all remember it from then. But a paraphimosis is when the foreskin gets stuck behind the glands of the penis. And that's the emergency, not a phimosis, which is where it's over the end of the uh, glands. Okay, then. And what are the common causes of paraphimosis? Essentially, the patient usually has to have an underlying phimosis in that their foreskin is normally tight. And their foreskin, for one reason or another, is pulled back over the glands and they either have forgotten to pull it forward or they can't get it forward. So it could be when the patient's cleaning, for example, okay, or after sexual intercourse. But commonly, we also see it in maybe the older patients with frailty that are in a care home 
Uh, they might have had their catheter changed or been washed and somebody's noticed a few days later that actually their foreskin hasn't been returned back over. Okay then. And can it be managed non-invasively? Certainly. Most of these can be managed without needing to go to theatre. But it does take patience. You'll probably end up ringing the registrar about it, but you're absolutely fine to be having a go at doing it. Okay. You don't really need to be using any needles or any special equipment. You need to warn the patient that you're going to try and reduce it. It's going to take a bit of time. It shouldn't be painful, but it might be uncomfortable while you do it. But it's going to be avoiding them going to theatre. All you need to do really is get yourself some gauze and a watch. Yeah. And warn the patient that what you need to do is actually squeeze the penis for about three to five minutes. So understandably, it's going to be a bit odd, but if you warn them about it, Wrap the gauze around the really swollen bit, which is just behind the glands of the penis, and literally squeeze on that. Okay. Constant pressure for three to five minutes. And if you do it for that long, and it does need to be that long, you'll find when you release, lots of the swelling has gone down. Okay. And then what you need to do is just pull the foreskin back over. If you look online, you'll find a picture of this quite easily. But essentially, if you place your thumbs on the end of the glands and then use your index and middle finger either side underneath the head of the glands, you want to be pushing the glands in and pulling the foreskin forward to pull it over. You're fine and it'd be a good idea for you to have a go. And if you can't do it, then just give the reg a ring. Okay, great. Thank you. And is there anything that we can do if we manage to reduce it afterwards to reduce the risk of recurrence? Pretty much most people should be advised that a circumcision or a dorsal slit should be booked for them electively. But it does you do need to take into account the fitness of the patient uh, and their wishes as well. Okay, great. And then the last common referral that we want to talk about was nephrostomies. So why might patients have nephrostomies? A nephrostomy is essentially, I, I tell people to imagine it as a catheter into the bladder. Into the kidney, sorry. So it's just a way of draining the kidney. So I think of it all in terms of physics or just like plumbing, actually. So the reason you would need to drain the kidney is if it doesn't drain via its normal route. So if the kidney is obstructed in one way or another, that could be due to a stone or a tumour or an iatrogenic injury during another operation or an emergency operation where the ureter has been injured. Okay. And what common problems can occur with nephrostomies? So I'll go through the main problems and then what you as a junior can do to try and correct these. A nephrostomy can come completely out or partially out. They are locked with a string into a coil in the pelvis of the kidney, but that can come undone. And if, for example, the patient puts their hand on the nephrostomy bag and then tries to sit up, it will pull the nephrostomy out. Okay. If you think that might be the case, have a look. If the tip of the nephrostomy is still within the skin, it could just be partially out. If that's the case, then flush the nephrostomy. And I'll talk you through how to flush it in a minute. If it's completely all the way out of the skin, you need to start making plans to put a new nephrostomy in. Okay. And is that an urgent thing? It is an urgent thing in that the tract will close the longer you take over it. And the patient has a risk of becoming... Uh, septic or getting acute kidney injury if their kidney isn't draining. Okay. Then you need to think about other referrals for nephrostomies. So often they come in and say nephrostomy is just not working. They've not pulled it. Um, And that could be because it's blocked. 
again, think of it just like a blocked catheter, but yeah. a much smaller version. You are perfectly safe to flush an ophostomy as long as you do it cautiously. So if you take a 5ml syringe with some normal saline in it, and the ones you use for a cannula are perfect because they're already preloaded. Yep. Detach an ophostomy from the bag. It's just a twist-off bag. And then twist on your 5ml syringe. And just as if you were flushing a catheter but on a smaller basis, just try and flush that 5ml of saline in and out of the catheter. If it's blocked, you often feel a bit of resistance and a sudden give. And then if you detach your syringe, you'll find that a whole load of urine comes pouring out. Okay. If it doesn't work, then call the registrar. Okay. Minor things really, a patient can become allergic to the sticker, sort of like a contact dermatitis over a long t- period of time. If that's the case, the nurses can take the sticker off and apply a different one. And you can get some infection around the site of the nephrostomy. It's very rare that that's bad enough to warrant anyone to be admitted into hospital. Most of the time, you can just take a swab. And it's often due to the fact that the nephrostomy dressing hasn't been changed often enough. And so personal hygiene and district nurses need to need to be um, sorted out, really. OK, great. Thank you. Just before we end the podcast, are there sort of three take home messages that you would advise for junior doctors? OK. Have confidence with superpubic catheters. You are absolutely fine to change them. Try and change them before giving us a ring, unless there's something really unusual about the patient or it's the first change. If you're unsure about a testicular pain, give us a ring. We're never going to tell you off for ringing us about those. Okay. Finally, try and have a go and get used to nephrostomies. You probably won't have come across them in medical school. At least get aware of what they look like if you have a patient with one. And if your reg needs to flush one, ask if you can do it with their support. Thank you very much, Susie. Thank you. I did want to say today that everything I've talked about has obviously come from textbooks and evidence, but it's also come from tips and things I've gained along the way. Each area is a country that you're in or the world. You'll find you get different tips from different people and they might vary slightly. Just keep this in mind. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.